Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now June the 21st, 2023. The Orioles are 45-27 and 27 on the season after beating the Rays on Tuesday night by an 8-6 to six score. Now, a win is a win, but the Orioles, they sure do not give us any easy wins. It's like they refuse to allow either themselves or us to enjoy an easy win. The Orioles had a 7 to nothing lead in the very early innings of the game after lighting up a very good starting pitcher, Tyler Glasnow, for six earned runs in the game. Home runs in the game by Aaron Hicks, Anthony Santander, and Ryan O'Hearn. Yet even with that huge lead, Starting pitcher Kyle Bradish was only able to go five innings in the game. It took him 92 pitches to get through the five innings. Now, there were positives. It wasn't as bad as, say, the game where the Orioles got a big early lead against Garrett Cole uh, in New York, and then Bradish only went five innings and gave up four earned runs in that game, and the Orioles went on to lose that game. In this case, Bradish allowed only two runs over those five innings, and he struck out eight batters, so there were certainly positives. But when the starting pitcher only goes five innings, the what happens is the soft part of the Orioles' bullpen is exposed. And in the case of Tuesday's game, Brian Baker and then Mike Bauman collectively blew the blowout in the sixth inning. Each of those two guys only recorded one out in the inning. There were ultimately three earned runs given up by Baker, although some of those scored, of course, after he came out of the game one earned run charge to Bauman, which also scored after he came out of the game. So ultimately, in spite of that 7 to nothing early lead, both Yenier Cano and Felix Bautista had to pitch. Bautista summoned to get the final four outs of the game on his birthday, which he did successfully. Cano pitched one inning. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's not good if those guys need to come in and get a total of seven outs in a game where the Orioles had a seven-run lead. But the Orioles did hold on to win. Bautista hit Randy Orozarena with a pitch to bring the tying run to the plate, leading off in the ninth inning after he got the last out of the eighth. But no one else got on base. So Bautista, on his birthday, closed out his 20th save of the season. Pretty good. Although I am disappointed in the Kyle Bradish start, it was nonetheless the first career win for him in a game against an AL East team. So... You know, it's good he broke that streak, 
Austin Hayes picked up three hits in the game. He continues to lead the AL in batting average with now a 327 batting average. Perhaps that will help him move higher than 15th place now in the voting for all-star outfielders in the American League. Uh, Aaron Hicks hit his third home run as an Oriole. He's now driven in 10 runs as an Oriole. Ryan O'Hearn with a 1.015 OPS in 94 plate appearances as an Oriole. So, I mean, these are all good things to take away from that game, despite all of the dumb things that happened. There were some tough things on defense, plays that might have been made that did make it more of a tense game than it needed to be. And this was especially in the later innings. There was a hard line drive right at Adam Frazier that he kind of wasn't able to play the hop off the stupid carpet, which, okay, whatever, it's a stupid carpet. But if your OPS is below 700, I feel like you need to be making the tough defensive plays. And Frazier on that occasion didn't, although he did make a couple of other good plays in the game. There was a uh, pop out that, or a pop fly that uh, blooper that ended up turning into a single that Jorge Mateo chased down and got a glove on, but it fell into fair territory. Now, that's a case of having a fast shortstop getting to the place where he can get a glove on it that a regular shortstop would not have been able to do. So I don't know. You can't get too mad at that, right? But nonetheless, it was a play that it would have been nice if he made. There was a play in foul territory where Ramon Urias in the vicinity of the Orioles' bullpen was... He ran too far to catch a foul ball that fell in. It seemed like he was uh, thrown off by the dumb bullpen in in play territory, which is also fair. The trap is stupid, but, you know, uh, it would have been good if he made the play. And Anthony Santander, well, he had one of these two. It was uh, it ended up being a double. He ran it down and had it clang off the outside edge of his glove. A faster guy would have caught it. So, I mean, none of these were errors, but these were plays that I think all needed to be made, and they all contributed to the Orioles playing more of a uh, sweated-out close game than they needed to. And yet, in spite of the challenges, the Orioles won it. They pull within four games of the Tampa Bay Rays, and they are only two back in the loss column. They are 3-1 and one against the Rays so far this season. The Orioles now, after winning on Tuesday, remain five and a half games ahead of the New York Yankees and six and a half games ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays. The haven't been swept streak lives on until at least Sunday. They will have a chance to get a little two game sweep themselves Wednesday afternoon as there is a uh, nearly noon start game. So you don't have too much time to listen to this show before it's no longer the current show and the Orioles have played a game if somehow they pull off that little two-game sweep with a Wednesday win, that would put the Orioles three games back of the American League East and just one game back in the loss column. I have no expectation this will happen just because Orioles fans are not allowed to have such nice things, but maybe they'll be able to do it. Tyler Wells will be on the mound for them. We know all about him. He's pitching well overall this season despite allowing tons of home runs. They are mostly either solo shots or at most two run homers allowed. So we'll see how he can do against the Rays in the trap on Wednesday afternoon. Pitching for the Rays is expected to be Taj Bradley. He's been pretty good so far this season, but you know, we'll see if uh, the Orioles can hang some runs on him the same way they did to Tyler Glasnow. 
So having Tuesday's win out of the way, uh, I was looking at the Norfolk Tides lineup on Tuesday night, and they didn't end up getting to play. They got rained out, so it didn't matter who was in the lineup, but uh, the, the lineup had rehab appearances by both Ryan Mountcastle and Cedric Mullins. It looks like they're getting their rehab games started. So that means that the Orioles are not too far off from having some roster shuffling as their injured players come back. And in addition to those two guys, uh, Dylan Tate is out on rehab again, although for him it's going terribly. And that included a, I think it was a Sunday afternoon game where he entered, he faced four batters and retired zero. And that's because he walked all four of those batters. So Tate has just not looked good. This is now his second attempt at going on rehab. I don't see how the Orioles could possibly activate him to the big league team no matter how long the rehab assignment goes on, as long as he's having games where he pitches like that. Now, Tate can be sent to the minors if the Orioles do reach a point where they have to activate him. So at the moment, I think I hope that's the decision they make. But Michael Gibbons is out on rehab assignment again as well. He has pitched in two games over the last week, including most recently on Saturday. So he did not pitch like a way that you would be inspired to see him again on the Orioles. But if he's looking okay on his rehab assignment, probably they're going to activate him. So like, as far as the immediate roster replacements for all three of those guys, I'm not counting Tate. He's just been too bad. I, even the Orioles have to see this. That's probably pretty easy. You activate Cedric Mullins. And mind you, he's probably going to need maybe a week or even two of rehab games, depending on how long the Orioles want to let him shake off the rust. So it's not like he's going to play two games and then be back on Friday or Saturday, I don't think. So Mullins activated, and then Ryan McKenna can get sent to the minors. He's not hitting, and now that Aaron Hicks is here and is hitting, that's your four outfielders is Hicks plus Mullins, Hayes, and Santander. And you can figure out the playing time somehow. Um, You know, that'll be something to juggle. But getting him on the roster is easy. Ryan McKenna no longer has a purpose if Mullins is healthy and Aaron Hicks, you know, unless Aaron Hicks goes into like a recent Jorge Mateo funk. So Ryan Mountcastle, whenever he gets activated, I think you can send Josh Lester back to the minors without losing any sleep over that. And then even when Michael Givens, whenever he comes back, you can probably send Logan Gillespie back down to the minors. Gillespie was activated for Tuesday's game. I don't really know why. Just for a little sidebar, the Orioles went out of their way to, um, they designated for assignment Spencer Watkins. And I'm not a Spencer Watkins fan, but I don't understand what was the point of designating him for assignment just so they could clear a 40-man roster spot to bring up catcher Anthony Bemboom to be the uh, the North, the backup catcher for the Orioles as long as James McCann is on the injured list. I don't know why they couldn't have just left the uh, guy they picked out of the Yankees system, Jose Godoy, who was around for one game or maybe two. I don't know why that happened. So since they designated Watkins, who was on the big league team, they recalled Logan Gillespie. Okay, so when Givens is back, you can send Gillespie back to the minors, probably, or... If the Orioles are fed up with either Mike Bauman or even Brian Baker, they could send one of those guys down to the minors as well. I personally am fed up with both of those guys, which doesn't mean they're the best option to send to the minors. But Brian Baker, I'm looking at in particular, now has a 4.20 ERA 
and has walked 19 batters in 30 innings pitched this season. So, like, you're not helping the team, right? I mean, in general, it's not good if the uh, if a baseball team needs to have a sixth inning guy, right? That's that's bad, and that's why it's going to be preferable for the starters, especially in games where the Orioles had seven run leads to be able to go six innings. But if you need a sixth inning guy, I guess you want to do better than the way Baker's pitching in the 2023 season, and also how Bauman's pitching. So I don't know. Uh, a, a healthy and good Givens can help this problem a little bit. Then you've got maybe Givens, Danny Colomb, Yenier Cano, and Felix Bautista. If that could be a good quartet, that would be good. I don't know if it can be, but we'll see. Um, you know, playing time for the position players is tougher. Obviously, Hayes, he's too hot to sit right now. Mountcastle is the reverse. He's kind of too cold to play unless rehab heats him up. Uh, a 227 batting average with a 264 on base percentage is not going to cut it for the Orioles, the 2023 Orioles at first base. And by the way, on top of those guys coming back to be uh, hopefully healthy again soon, everyone wants to see Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg on the big league team too, as the clamor continues with each passing multi-hit game or home run hit in a game or whatever by either one of those players. So I don't know. Mike Alliance is going to have some tough choices to make over the next couple of weeks. And then also some tougher choices to make once he gets later in July and he has to decide who to trade to maybe improve the starting rotation or maybe improve even the kind of sixth inning, seventh inning situation for the bullpen. I am never super excited about the idea of trading a prospect for a reliever, but it does look like the 2023 Orioles might be the kind of team that could benefit from shoring that up. The 2014 Orioles, although they did waltz to the ALEs title, it certainly didn't hurt them to have Andrew Miller on the Orioles in the American League Division Series. If the championship series had just broken better over that four games against the Royals, and if it had been more than four games, I think that the Miller acquisition would have been even better. So I guess we'll see if Elias wants to trade a prospect for a reliever. Hopefully that reliever doesn't suck once they trade for him. Hopefully a starting pitcher doesn't suck if they trade for him also. I don't know. Um, I, I, uh, I'm going to have a lot of emotions to work through with all of that because I'm not used to trades of that sort working out in general for the Orioles. So hopefully Mike Elias is better than his predecessor, Dan Duquette, in making trades that add within a season to the, uh, a good Baltimore Orioles team. Cause Duquette by and large was not too good at doing that. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, and the mailbag is empty today, so if you would like to email for a future episode any Orioles opinion you just got to get off your chest or a question you'd like me to answer in a future episode, the email is camdencastpod at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has written in so far. And before we wrap up, let's touch on some prospects of the episode. And as of last episode, I've shifted because I've gone beyond the top 30 composite list that's posted on camdenchat.com. So from here on, for a little while, I'm going to do one unheralded prospect and one revisited prospect. 
So for today, I'm going to talk about an unheralded relief pitcher named Wandison Charles. And I'll tell you how unheralded he is. I had really never even thought of him about two weeks ago. But he, uh, he just got promoted from Bowie to Norfolk. So who is Wandison Charles? Okay, he is a 26-year-old right-handed pitcher being used as a reliever. He just joined the organization this year. Uh, before this season, well, actually counting this season, Charles has a 7.8 walks per nine innings across seven minor league seasons. So that's crazy. Uh, and last year with the Oakland AA team, he walked 38 batters in 37 innings pitched, which is also crazy having more walks than innings pitched for that significant of a sample. So that's why I'm sure the athletics were just like, actually, it's okay if you go somewhere else. Um, Charles went and pitched in winter ball in the Dominican Republic. There, he only walked three batters in 11 and two thirds innings. So maybe the Orioles liked what they saw there. I don't know, but they brought him on board, sent him to Bowie. And now keep in mind that Charles, as a 26-year-old reliever at Bowie, that's old for the level. So however well he, uh, whatever good I'm about to describe here, that's old for the level. Nonetheless, 26 strikeouts and only five walks over 15 and one-third innings pitched for Bowie's bullpen. So he just got promoted to Norfolk for this coming week. We will see, I guess, if Charles is able to keep rolling. He was sort of a prospect, uh, enough that he was mentioned by in the Fangraph scouting report on the Oakland athletic system before the 2022 season, and they had him in what they call their 35-plus future value tier, which is kind of like a guy who is just sort of mentioning worth mentioning in case a couple of things click and maybe he can carve out a role for himself. That is the same prospect here that Felix Bautista was on also before the 2022 season, as well as Yenier Cano before the 2023 season. So, okay, here is what Fangrass wrote about Wandison Charles before 2022. Quote, On our radar for, radar for a while, because of his arm strength and physical presence, which resembles that of an NFL edge rusher, he looked healthy during the 2021 Fall Instructional League, sitting 95-98 to 98 with his fastball, he still lacks consistent feel for location and a good secondary pitch, end quote. So, you know, the uh, the 38 walks in 37 innings really tells you about lacking consistent feel for location. But let's keep in mind that having brought up Bautista and Cano, they also came from other organizations and the Orioles turned them around when they had some walk problems. That took a little bit longer for Bautista than it did for Cano. And so maybe they can do this also for Wanda St. Charles, a guy maybe you never thought about before hearing his name on this show. Like I said, I really had not thought about him about until about two weeks ago when I looked and saw his, uh, his strikeout and walk rate at Bowie. And so maybe with good performance at Norfolk, I think Charles maybe could even be in the picture to displace like a Bauman or Baker tier guy in the bullpen for later this season. Uh, possibly for next season, if he's able, if he maybe needs a couple months in Norfolk to have the Orioles believe, okay, he can do this against MLB hitters. But he's a guy I'm at least going to keep an eye on now that he's hitting Norfolk. And I hope that he can do something like uh, he was doing for Bowie. I think that would be great for the Orioles bullpen of the near future if they can find another guy more or less off the scrap heap and turn him into another one of these huge pitcher from a uh, Caribbean country 
you know, Bautista is from the Dominican Republic, like Charles, and Cano is Cuban. So, yeah, if they can make that a trio of large guys, uh, Charles, like they said, he he's uh, built like an edge rusher. I Well, I don't know what an edge rusher weighs and how tall they are generally, but uh, Charles is six foot four and listed at 250 pounds. Cano is listed six foot four, 245. And Bautista, of course, is now listed six foot eight and 285 pounds. Those are some huge dudes. That would be fun to have a trio if Charles can live up to that. So I guess we'll see if he can do it. Okay. So let's revisit. Grayson Rodriguez, who was the number two on the preseason prospect list. And before I say anything more about him, let's all just let out a huge sigh about how the season has gone for him. (sighs) Okay, Rodriguez. Well, a lot has happened for him since we last talked about him, and a lot of that was bad, unfortunately. Just some ugly totals. Uh, Ten games started for the Orioles, 45 and a third innings pitched, so not averaging very deep in games, a 7.35 ERA, a 5.93 FIP, allowed 13 home runs in that time. So if you're talking, you know, uh, close to a home run every five or so innings, that's bad. He's been hittable overall, allowing 11.5 hits per nine innings. 4.2 walks per nine innings is not egregious in and of itself, but the command problems that indicates are probably contributing to other problems that he's having. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of StatCast uh, stats where Rodriguez is just really bad. I'm talking 8th percentile or worse in all of the following stats among 2023 pitchers. Average exit velocity allowed, hard hit percentage, expected ERA, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, barrel percentage. According to the pitch data, he's getting bad outcomes from all of his four-seam fastball, his cutter, and his curveball. All of those, all three of those, there's just a lot of hard hit balls allowed. So, okay, throwing out some more numbers from StatCast, Rodriguez is getting a first pitch strike 54.5% of the time. The league average this year is 60.8% first pitch strikes. So he's about 10% below the league average. And, you know, that's a lot of 1-0 counts where other guys are getting 0-1 counts. Uh, and what really stood out to me is StatCast also keeps track of what they call the meatball percentage. And so Rodriguez is really actually comparable to league average in meatball percentage. He has thrown 7.5% meatballs. The league average is 7.3%. Where the big discrepancy is, well, really more of a difference, not really a discrepancy, is in meatball swing percentage. And for the league average, there's a swing on 76.1% of meatballs. So three out of four times the batter swings at a meatball. So, you know, that that sounds about right. Um, Well, okay, Rodriguez, they're swinging 85.1% of the time. So they're really, really, really seeing his meatballs and I think hitting his meatballs pretty hard. Is that bad luck for him? Is that something that he needs to work on? I don't really know. But what I do know is that Rodriguez is only saved from being the worst rookie pitcher by ERA who's thrown at least 30 innings by three kind of sacrificial lambs out for those bad Oakland athletics and Los Angeles Dodger Michael Grove. I don't know what the deal is about Michael Grove. I just saw his name on the list. And, you know, there's there's really nothing comparable for having like a top 
pitching prospect in the league who's struggling after his debut this year, other than Rodriguez. He's like the only guy doing it. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going on with him. But since getting sent back down to AAA Norfolk, Rodriguez has made three starts. The first start, it made me want to sigh again, because although he allowed only one hit and didn't give up any runs in a six-inning start, he walked five dudes. Obviously, if he's walking five dudes per start, that's not going to get him back to the big leagues. Okay, second start, six innings again, three earned runs this time, but uh, that was with seven hits, one walk, and 10 strikeouts. Uh, So I'm happy about the double-digit strikeouts and only one walk. I don't know what the deal was with allowing three runs, whatever. Uh, The third start, six innings, two runs, two earned runs, uh, two hits, two walks, and 11 strikeouts. Now, that's more of the good stuff. He has allowed one home run each in those second and third starts. He's thrown 90 pitches plus in every one of those games. So, I mean, the last two starts are sort of in the vein of the kind of dominance he was doing last year before he had the lat injury. So can he get back to that form where he was consistently dominating AAA batters? Can he carry that on to Major League Baseball? How much more are the Orioles going to need to see to bring him back? I feel like they're going to need to see more than three good starts. Uh, I guess some of that might depend on is Cole Irvin capable in the fifth starter spot? You know, does that create something of a crisis if he's not? I don't know. I I, I don't know what the Orioles are thinking about Rodriguez. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was recently reading the book of, written about the Astros cheating scandal. It's called Winning Fixes Everything. It was by one of the athletic reporters who broke the Astros trash can banging scandal, Evan Drellich. And uh, he had a story in that book. It, it was actually much more broad than just about the trash can banging. But it, it talked a little bit about reminding about the uh, Astros selection of Mark Appel with the number one pick in uh, the 2013 draft. And they, uh, Appel never made it with the Astros. And one of the quotes that was in that book said, if we had TrackMan data in 2013, we wouldn't have picked Appel so high. And end quote. Now, I, I, thought that, I saw that and I was like, geez, I, I wonder if there are people in the Orioles who are like thinking that about Grayson Rodriguez now. Now, of course, keep in mind, Mike Elias was not the guy who drafted Grayson Rodriguez. But we are several years more advanced in time now. So I think probably the Orioles have had the, uh, the track man advanced pitch data on Rodriguez the whole time he's been in the minors under Elias. And, uh, you know, Elias has had that data and he still sounded pretty excited about Rodriguez going into like last season and maybe only tempered that a little bit once seeing Rodriguez in like spring training this year or something. So I don't know. I think, I think Elias, Still got excited about Rodriguez after seeing the TrackMan data, but I, I, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit, and I, I do maybe wonder if some of, well, there was more advanced data that uh, maybe a more um, metric advanced team than the 2018 Orioles were might have made a different choice. I don't know. I hope Rodriguez can work out whatever it is he needs to work out. Uh, you know, of course, Elias probably wouldn't have drafted a pitcher at all. It seems like he's allergic to it, but. That's a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into today. So yeah, Rodriguez, I, I just hope he does better. I, you know, whatever era of good Orioles we're hoping is coming. And I, I'm sure I've said this more than once. I'm sorry if I'm a broken record. Whatever is coming needs Grayson Rodriguez to pitch well, I think, to work out, to help sustain the uh, 
what we're hoping will be a good era of Orioles baseball. They're, they're going to need to get some starting pitching from somewhere, and it's sure going to help them if Grayson Rodriguez can do it. So that's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Friday morning. Hopefully, there will be another Orioles win over the Rays to talk about. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on Camden Chat in the comment section there. I go by the name Eat More SK, although I write articles under my real name, Mark Brown, as you know. Uh, you can also tweet at me at Camden Chat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.